turn in your Bibles or your YouVersion app. <laughs> Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 22, 1 through 14, and it's also printed in your bulletin. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. And good morning to all of you. So good to see you. As you can tell, we are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. We've been walking through Hebrews chapter 11. We're doing uh, five weeks in the month of January on Hebrews 11. So last week, Jonathan Iverson talked about uh, the passage that came before, which was another episode in the life of Abraham. And today we come to Hebrews 11. 17, just those three verses, and also that passage in Genesis chapter 22. This morning, uh, I did what I always do. Uh, even though it was a rainy morning, I went out to, went to uh, walk around the lake and to take my notes with me and to practice my sermon as I'm going around. 
And uh, it was lonely out there today. There weren't a lot of people out there, but I saw a friend of mine jogging from the other direction and said hi to him. And then I saw him around the next time and the rain was coming down and we were working out and I was doing my walk and we both stopped and we talked and I said, I said, we are facing adversity out here. And we both, we both smiled, we knew what that was about because the adversity of rain wasn't that big of a deal. But we always get together and we talk about sports and so all of the NFL teams that are playing right now, if they win, they're gonna say we made it through adversity. And uh, if you're the Georgia football team in college football, we say we made it through so much adversity. But you and I know that there's adversity in business and adversity in life and adversity in relationships. And so there's something about overcoming adversity. Now the Bible has a word for adversity. And it's found in Hebrews 11:17, and it's found in Genesis chapter 22, verse one. And it's the word testing. This morning, what we're going to talk about is the reality that God tests his people. And I wonder if you've ever thought very much about that, that if you think of, as you think about the Christian life, as you think about the life of faith, that part of God's plan is to test us. And that's what happens. In fact, I really believe that everybody in this room over the course of your Christian life will be going through some very significant testing. I don't know what it's gonna be, but you will go through testing. Your faith will be tested. So I want you to be able to look back at this sermon. I want you to be able to look back at some of the defining passage of scripture on the topic of testing, and I'd like you to understand what God is doing through that test. So as we begin, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Lord, as we get into this uh, wonderful passage of scripture, this very um, treasured passage of scripture, and in some ways puzzling story from scripture, I wanna take a moment to pray for all of those among us, Lord, for the, for the spiritual seeker who is just now exploring the gospel. I pray that they would see Jesus today in this passage. But Lord, for your children in this room, many of them who are going through significant tests in their life, financial or medical or relational, whatever it might be, there are people, Lord, your children who are going through tests and you know about those tests. So I pray that this morning that you would use your word to strengthen our faith. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Take a look at Hebrews 11 for a moment. That's in your bulletin, or you can check it out in your Bible. And uh, it just is three short verses, this episode in the life of Abraham. But I want you to notice a couple things, and I'm gonna go through this briefly just as an introductory measure. Hebrews 11:17 through 19, lets us know of a couple things that we need to understand about testing in the Christian life. First of all, verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested. So the Bible teaches that God's people, even great leaders like Abraham, great people of faith, are tested in life. In the book of James, it says to all of us, consider it joy when you encounter various trials 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So this theme of testing is all throughout scripture. So it's important that we understand it. So we see that in verse 17. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now here's another thing. The test was a mystery. The test was hard. The test was something difficult for Abraham to understand. But what the passage is teaching in Hebrews 11 is that this was a story of faith. And so the message of Hebrews 11, 17 to 19 is that like Abraham, the believer in Christ is supposed to look at testing through another lens, that is the lens of faith. Not through the lens of sight, but through the lens of faith. Whatever you're going through in your life, what does it mean for you to look at that test, to look at that trial, to look at your story through the eyes of faith? Because it says in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when tested. And it says that he went on and he obeyed God in that test. And then it says in verse 19, that Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What it means, what that passage says, is that when Abraham went through this test, he considered something. He considered that I'm going to obey God, and if this is the child of the promise, if the entire future of not only my family, this is Abraham talking, my, my, only, my family, but the redemption of the world is based upon this promised child, then God is able to raise him from the dead. And so what Abraham is doing is he's looking at this test through faith and through a redemptive lens. He sees by faith the redemptive plan of God because he believes that God could even raise him from the dead. What an amazing, amazing story. Now, on this, we're going through Hebrews 11, we're looking at these characters, and I'm so excited that this morning we're gonna double click on Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, and it's gonna take us back. I wanna invite you to travel with me in a time machine back to the origin, back to the story, back to Genesis chapter 22. And you know, I love a good story. One of the reasons I love movies and Netflix and really good fiction is I like to be taken to a different time and a different place. And so the early readers of Hebrews who were struggling with their faith, who were struggling with their tests, just like you and just like me, when the writer to the Hebrews mentioned the story of Abraham, it was a story with which they were familiar. So a lot of us in this room might not be as familiar with this story, maybe some of us are, but it's good to go back into the story from Genesis chapter 22. Now, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you to think about this question. When you go through a test, the test you're going through now, the test you will go through next week or next year, the test that our church will go through, how will you navigate those tests? How will you handle those tests? And there are three things that I want you to remember from this story, and I'm gonna tell you what those three things are right now, and then we're gonna walk through the story. The first thing I want you to remember is that God gives seasons of testing to his people. We saw that in Hebrews 11. God gives seasons of testing to his people. That's the first thing. The second thing is that God calls us to live by faith. We learned that from Abraham. God calls us to live by faith. 
And then the third thing we'll see is that in God's redemptive plan, God will provide exactly what we need. He, God will provide exactly what we truly need, what we truly need. So let's talk about that first one. God gives seasons of testing to his people. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, I want to take you into the story. So let's dive right into it. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. Look again carefully at these verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse two, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, in many ways, this is a unique test. God is not going to ask you to sacrifice your children. Now, obviously, there are things that matter to us that God wants us to give up to him and turn over to him, but this is a unique story in the plan of redemption. In fact, the nature of this test, uh, one, one uh, Ray Stedman who preached on this one time, he called, it the, he called this the greatest trial because what was going on was that Abraham was being asked to give up his son. There is no parallel to this in our lives or in scripture. No one had a greater test except perhaps the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his disciples were sleeping, he sweat drops of blood. And he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will being done. Only the Son of God had a greater test because he was about to offer his own life. You know, there's another echo of Genesis 22, 1 and 2 in the Bible. When we were reading verse 2, when it said, take your son, your only son, did it remind you of any verse in the New Testament? Reminds me of John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel in one verse. So this verse exposes the heart of God the Father. This verse, this verse is a, is a pointer to the one great sacrifice of all time made by God the Father who sacrificed his son. What's interesting about this story and the stories of the Old Testament is that Moses is the author here, he can tell this story, but there's a, there's a, there's a narrator uh, that is telling us what's going. So as you and I read the story, we know what God's gonna do. We can read through the story, we know that Abraham is being tested, and we know that God is doing the testing, but Abraham himself doesn't know what's happening. Abraham is the one who's going to have to walk by faith and obey God with this test. I wanna take a moment and talk about the fact that when you go through a test in your life, isn't it true, or this is what faith will tell you, is that God is the one behind that test. Now you and I know there's a devil in the world, we know that we live in a fallen world, we know that there are mean people in the world. But do you believe that behind it all is a sovereign God? This passage says, 
It was God who tested Abraham. God is the ultimate one who does the testing in our life. That's an amazing, amazing truth. It's a pretty deep theological truth. This is one of the reasons why theology matters, what we believe about God matters, that he is a sovereign God. I wanna answer this question because one of the things that we, we ask when we go through a test is, God, why? Why am I going through this test? Why would I do that? I wanna give you two reasons why God tests in the Bible, in my understanding. This is a redemptive view of testing. One of the reasons God tests is that a test reveals things about us. A test reveals things about what's going on truly in our life. It reveals the quality of our faith. If you squeeze a toothpaste tube, tube, what is inside it comes out. Let me give you an example of this about how testing just reveals things. The past two years, our church, other churches, our country have gone through a season of testing. Do you believe that God is behind that and that God's in control of that? What do you mean, Mike, by testing? Well, the testing of COVID, the testing of cultural debates all around us on all kinds of issues. And one of the things I've noticed in this season of testing in the global church, the American church, churches in our city, is that testing has squeezed people so that what's inside them can come out. And it's not all pretty. Sometimes when there's testing, good things come out. But one of the things I've seen that can so easily happen is that there is a virus that lurks in our hearts that is worse than COVID. And it's the virus of pride and the virus of self-righteousness. And over the past two years, I'm not necessarily talking about anybody in this room, but I'm talking in general, the testing that the church has gone through, which is relatively mild compared to persecution around the world and throughout history, relatively mild. But I have seen an appalling amount of self-righteousness and pride in the lives of people. Just needing to prove that they're right, needing to judge others or whatever. I think the testing has really revealed something. There's a second purpose for testing. By the way, I think it's good that stuff gets revealed. I think it's good. I think it's really good that testing reveals the quality of our faith and the intentions of our heart. Second thing that testing reveals, or that it, it, it first of all, it reveals, but the second thing that testing does is it refines. Testing refines us, Test, testing changes you. One of the things that this story in the life of Abraham is actually happening quite late in his life. He's gone through a lot of other tests and so there have been times when he has been tested by people and, and he's been refined by all of that testing. So testing refines us, it changes us. That happened to Peter. Peter was saying, uh, to Jesus right before the, the passion that he said, I'll, you know, I'll, others may deny you, but I won't. And Jesus said, before this night is over, you will deny me three times. In fact, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. You see, faith is like a muscle, and it grows with exercise. 
So I want you to take the long view of your life and realize that you're gonna see that God is using these things as kind of a fitness center, kind of a gymnasium to work out things in your life, those things that you're going through. And God is deepening your character, deepening your faith, deepening your trust in him. Have you noticed that to be true? You see, God takes his people through seasons of testing, just like what we see in this passage. Let's talk about a second thing, though. The second thing we see here, first, I want you to always remember that God will take you through seasons of testing, but second, God calls you to live by faith. God calls you to live by faith, not by sight. We saw that in Hebrews 11. But I want you to see Abraham's faith in this passage. Notice verse three. I want you to notice three things about his faith. Number one, it was an obedient faith. You see, because Abraham trusted God and believed God, he was obedient. So it says in verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. You know, I want you to think about how hard Abraham's obedience must have been. It's hard to even imagine the emotion that he must have felt. The passage doesn't show a lot of emotion, but it's almost like, it's almost the air is thick with emotion in this passage. You know, we talked about how we all go through testing, and if you have a friend who's going through a test, if you're going through a test, we're so tempted to fix them, aren't we? We're so tempted to say, hey, I know what God's doing in your life, he's testing you. But don't do that, because the greatest thing we can do in our community for somebody going through a test is to express empathy, to just say, I'm with you in your test. This passage is not giving, make, turning all of us into like junior psychologists that can fix people that are going through testing. In fact, testing in the church is often a time for us to show empathy, to show love, to weep with those who weep, and to rejoice with those who rejoice. So this obedience, though, that we see in Abraham, his faith led to obedience, was pretty amazing that he was going through that. It says in verse four that on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abra then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. I want you to think about verse five. This is the second thing we see about Abraham's faith. One, he was obedient, so his faith led to obedience. The second thing we see, though, is that Abraham trusted the promise of God. Abraham reminded himself that God had promised Isaac, that this was God's gift to him. And so he was able to say, I and the boy will worship and we will come again to you. He could say that by faith because he trusted in the promise of God. He knew that God was going to take care of this, but he lived by faith. He saw what was unseen, he obeyed anyway. And then there's a third thing we see if you look at verse seven, it says, and Isaac said to his father, Abra he said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Abraham replied to him, here I am, he said. And then Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, Together. Here's the third thing about faith is that Abraham trusted the character of God. 
He knew God. He said that God will provide. Think about those three things. Because Abraham lived by faith, number one, he was obedient. Number two, he trusted the promise of God and knew that they would come back. And number three, he was able to answer Isaac's question, where is the lamb, by saying that God will provide. That's what his faith is like. Now, we, you and I look at that, and uh, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't, I don't often have that kind of faith in my life. It's easy for you and me to look at this story and believe that somehow if we just have enough faith, we can emulate the faith of Abraham. But as Bruce Waltke says about this story, there were times when Abraham's faith faltered. There, is, there are times when you and I, our faith falters. I'll give you an example. God had promised Isaac to Abraham, but he and Sarah had not had a child yet. And she was getting older and older and older, so Abraham and Sarah came up with this weird plan for them to have a child by Hagar. And they fulfill, tried to fulfill God's will through the flesh. They tried to do it in their own power. That was a massive failure on Abraham's part. There were many times, there were times where Abraham lied. There were all these things that he went, went through. And so there were previous tests, there were previous exams and Abraham failed those tests and he faltered and God is saying, you've gotta take the driver's ed test again, you haven't passed, and he's gotta do it over and over again. And so by the time we get to Genesis chapter 22 in this story, it's amazing how his faith has grown, but I want you to remember that Abraham's faith had faltered. You guys, your faith falters, my faith falters, and this is why we need the gospel. I'll tell you a story about a time when I really struggled in my faith, and I could, I could tell you stories from last week that my faith faltered. I could give you really current stories. This one's a little bit older. It goes back to 2008. We had planted Lake Baldwin Church in 2006. 2008 was a season of testing in our church, the likes of which I had never experienced in my life. We had so many torpedoes hit the boat. But one of the things about that season of testing in 2008, it wasn't just that there were external things that were really hard, torpedoes hitting the boat, but my toothpaste tube was being squeezed. Mike Tilly was being squeezed. One of the things that happened that year is I started listening to feedback from people and there were, er there were areas where either I had made bad decisions or uh, areas where I needed good feedback and I needed to be critiqued, and that was so hard for me. The combination of all these external things happening, but at the same time, of the feeling that I could not escape, that Mike Tilly was not good enough to be the pastor of Lake Baldwin Church. And it was as if the dream was being stripped away from me. I would lie awake at night, I couldn't sleep. Molly was afraid I was gonna have a heart attack. I would worry, and I would say that my faith faltered in this sense. I was disoriented. I didn't trust God with it. I got angry with people. There were all sorts of things. Remember what testing does is it brings stuff out. It brings things to the surface, to the surface. and it was one of the most difficult years in my life. 
there were people that said things to me that actually proved to be very redemptive during that season. You know, sometimes, I think Jonathan Iverson said last week that our faith is really, really grows, not just when we're successful, but we're going through hard times, when we're going through failure, or in this sense, through testing. Here's a couple things that somebody said to me during that year of 2008 when I was so discouraged and so defeated and felt that I was unworthy. Somebody said to me, when I was complaining about everything, the person said to me, Mike, it's not about you. Now that was so hard to hear for, for me to hear because in a way I was making it about me. But I had a character lesson to learn. I was being so humbled. Somebody else said to me, Mike, maybe God is holding your little twinkie toes to the fire. Now what the person meant by that was maybe, Mike, you're being humbled. Maybe God is testing you. You're going through a fire. Do you see how vividly I remember those things? Because what was going on was that God was testing me. He was revealing things to me. I knew that my faith faltered. And one of the best things that happened to me as a result of that year, and I'm talking about redemptively, because it was excruciating to go through a whole year of that. But one of the best things that happened to me was that it drove me back to Jesus. It drove me back to the gospel. It forced me to view the testing through that lens of faith, through a redemptive lens. And you guys, I had the hardest time doing that. I had to actually admit to myself that I'm not even sure that I understood the gospel as well as my wife did, and other people as well. It was really hard for me to admit that because I wanted so badly for people to think I had it all together. But you guys, I was so humbled by that. And you know what? I think that that lesson of being pressed to embrace the gospel is one of the primary messages of this story because I want you to go back to the question that is asked by Isaac when he says to his father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? See, that's really the question of this passage is where is the lamb? That was the question for Mike Tilley in 2008. Where is the lamb? So that sets us up, that leads us to the final point in testing. The first is that God gives seasons of testing to his people. The second is that God calls us to live by faith, trusting in his character and his promises and to obey him. But the third thing is God provides for us exactly what we truly need. So let's look at the next several verses. Look at verse nine. It says, but when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram 
caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Richard Phillips in his commentary on this passage takes that phrase, where is the lamb? That, that question that Isaac asked. And God did provide a lamb for them that day. But it wasn't the perfect lamb. It wasn't the true lamb. Richard Phillips goes on to say that throughout the rest of the Old Testament with the priesthood and the sacrifices is always the question, where is the true lamb? And it wasn't until John the Baptist came along in John chapter one and verse 29 and he pointed to Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I wonder if you see the story of Jesus in Genesis chapter 22. I wonder if you can, if you notice the perfect obedience of Jesus. You know, Isaac, Isaac was a teenager. I mean, he couldn't have gone to Splash Summer Camp. He would have been in youth group. Isaac was a big guy because he carried that wood up, the, up the, the mountain. He could have escaped from his dad. But what we see in Abraham, what we see in Isaac is only a picture of the perfect obedience of Christ when Christ lived a perfect life and went to the cross. What else do we see in this passage? We see God's provision of a lamb, and so the lamb was sacrificed in the place of Isaac. Do you see in that, uh, Mark used this big word earlier, substitutionary atonement. Do you see that God has provided for you and for me a lamb as he did for Abraham and Isaac? And so that points to the, work, to the death of Christ on the cross. So we see the obedience of Christ, we see the death of Christ. And then we go all the way up to Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, do you remember what it said there? It said that, that figuratively speaking, Abraham received his son back because he believed that God could raise him from the dead. The reason it says figuratively speaking is that the literal meaning of that word is as a parable. In other words, this story exists in the Bible not to teach about child sacrifice or anything like that, but it exists as a parable pointing to the resurrection of Christ. And so what we learn in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 is we see not only the perfect obedience of Christ, but we also see the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and we see the resurrection of Christ who himself actually did die. He became our substitute. Isaac didn't have to die. That's why it was figurative. That's why it was just a parable. But in Christ we see the Lamb of God who really, really died. You know, I wonder that question, where is the Lamb, that Isaac asked. If you're here this morning and you have never believed in Christ for your salvation. That is the most important question of your life. All the tests in your life, all the things that you are going through are geared to, to, to guide you to the most important question that you would ask in your life is where is the lamb for me? Where is the one who will die for me? And the message of the Bible, as John the Baptist says, is that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the call on your life this morning, if you've never put your faith in Christ, is to believe in Jesus Christ 
as the Lamb of God. Secondly, I wanna say by way of application to those of you in this room who may be like me in 2008 or maybe like me last week or the week before, your faith has faltered. It would be so tempting for you to think that you still need to carry that wood up the hill. It would be so tempting for you to say that I need to be like Abraham when God is just developing your faith and your faith is faltering. But what this passage points to for you, if you're faltering, if you're drifting, if you feel like your life is not good enough, like, my, like I have felt many, many times, I want you to see that God has also provided you a lamb. And so this morning, the call to you is to get back on track in that life of faith and to realize that God accepts you not on the basis of how great your faith is or on the, on the basis of your works or being right or having it all together, but on the basis of what the Lamb of God has done for you. So would you come back to him? Would you trust in that Lamb this morning? Would you pray with me? Lord, what a revelation it is to come to a passage like this and be so shocked by what's in it, but discover in it the good news of the gospel. Lord, would this morning, would you use, would you strengthen our hearts by the grace of the gospel? Again, I pray for those this morning whose faith is faltering. Would you strengthen their faith? Would you surround them with a community that would live the gospel for them and show empathy and help them along the way of faith? Lord, we all bow before you. We all worship you this day. We know that the offering of all that is precious to us does not earn your salvation. But now we know that we can offer our lives freely because you have given us the Lamb of God, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.